0: This is CHUO89.1 FM. Welcome to this week's episode of The Mosaic, your weekly show highlighting the voices of the community. Here, we guide you through today's social issues, introduce you to change makers, and keep in touch with the arts, music, and events of the city. You can expect extensive research, in-depth analysis, and discussion. From CHUO's news team, this is the Mosaic. Today, we hear about issues brought from climate change, including health effects. We're bringing information from a climate solutions conference that came to uOttawa. CHUO was able to attend an Anishinaabe map-making event at the Ottawa Art Gallery. The event was part of Wellness Week, and we'll hear from one of the university's coordinators. You know, they do something
1: different. They come tonight and just enjoy themselves and forget about their exams during midterm and what's going on.
0: Then, we shed some light on what you can expect from Winterlude as it kicks off tomorrow. Finally, James Brennan returns with a segment of Point of Skew. Stick around, we've got all that and more coming up on the mosaic.
2: Climate change is a discouraging topic for many, but Climate Justice Climatique broke up with a panelist event in January. The student led club assembled experts from different fields to talk about their ongoing projects to tackle climate change. Throughout the evening, I had the chance to hear about what the city of Ottawa is doing, what businesses and companies should be doing, advocacy from a health perspective, and inclusive innovation. Some people may wonder what's the point in having these conversations and listening to the fervor and the words of these advocates when all seems to be already lost, or at least stagnant. But if we don't keep fighting for this, what will we have left?
3: The reason that I've like, decided to dedicate my life in medicine to climate and climate advocacy is because every time I took a step back from someone's health, so, like, I deal with a the patient, then I'm like, but why did that happen? Then I'm like, well, why did that happen? But like, well, why, well, why did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did that happen? And then I'm just like, how do we fix it? And the most upstream determinant of everything is climate in my head. Like, that is the all-encompassing, most surrounding thing I can think of, is without a stable planet, what else matters?
2: That was Dr. Sejal Vargava, the co-chair of Cape Ontario. CAPE, the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment, advocates for healthier environments and ecosystems. They're interested in the impact climate change has on our bodies, since 80% of our health status comes from the environment.
3: You know, while I see people who come into the ER, who have been like frostbitten because they're homeless and they don't have a shelter or from heat stroke because their high-rise condo building didn't have electricity in a heat wave and they couldn't cool themselves down or people who are homeless didn't have access to air conditioning and end up in our er's or kids who are having asthma exacerbations from ground level pollution from heavy truck traffic in the downtown core um I can come to these meetings and be a part of this organization that works on a, on a broader scale. and I feel like I'm doing something to address it, rather than just, you know, putting a band-aid on a problem and sending people back to the environment that made them sick.
2: For Dr. Vargava, the climate crisis is a health crisis. And truly, that is an understatement. With the increase in temperatures comes an increase in aggression. More climate disasters means more mental stress that manifests itself through depression and anxiety. The economic instability could drive more people to poverty.
3: Um we see increased rates of allergies and obviously all of these impacts have impacts on our healthcare system, the health that we can provide as physicians, and actually the amount of health care that we need to provide as a healthcare system, which is a very energy intensive industry. Healthcare actually accounts for six percent of Canada's global greenhouse gas emissions.
2: This speech led to one of my favorite parts of the presentation, which was the prescription for nature program. As its name says, it is a program to prescribe spending time in nature because, and I found this incredibly touching, the more time people spend in nature, the more motivated they are to protect it. Dr. Vargava also spoke about the ways we have to make change, dividing them in micro, the self, miso, the community, and macro, the bigger picture. There shouldn't be any stress about reaching a macro level of change right away, since even if you're at the micro stage, If
3: this is the level that you're willing to begin at, to begin to be a climate advocate, to begin to share this message of urgency, then go for it sharing posts on Instagram, tweeting, um, live streaming being in rallies. Like these are all really, really absolutely legitimate interventions that will get people talking. And I think that's where the value of the micro-level interventions are.
2: Dr. Sejal Borgava's presentation was preceded by Marty Carr, City Councilor for Alta Vista and Vice Chair of the Environment Committee. Some of the things she highlighted were the importance of land use planning, the transit system, garbage collection, or stormwater management.
4: Transit is so critical to the future. If we're really going to get people, we have to have choices for people to get. that does not involve getting into a personal vehicle or driving a personal vehicle.
2: Multi-residential housing is also tied to this, because if the city stops the urban sprawl into agricultural areas and focuses on density instead, it will be much more easy to provide services people can walk or bus to.
4: We need to build those communities where we have small stores, small services. We don't live in a community like mine where it takes me 25 minutes if I want to walk and get a bag of chips.
2: Kyle also talked about her experience as a counselor visiting a waste dump and realizing that there was no recycling program for the 70,000 mattresses that land there every year.
4: I just paid $150 for a refugee organization to take away a king-sized bed I didn't want anymore. And I will do that because it's important to me. But somebody else getting rid of it, $150 might be the difference that they have between being able to eat this week. So I think the city needs to incentivize better work better with not-for-profits, to get things, a a better focus on reuse.
2: Perhaps one of the most noticeable effects of climate change are the extreme weather events, which was a threat to communities and ecosystems. As we know, last August, Ottawa witnessed heavy rains that left vehicles stranded, and parking lots and lobbies flooded from the three feet of water that entered the properties. One of the lessons I took from Mardi is the need, the want for our participation as citizens being affected by climate change.
4: Come out and delegate to us and tell us how important things are.
2: Chris Mohan was the next speaker. He's the director of research and campaigns at Regeneration. For him, it is important to understand how climate change and finance intersect, because all climate action needs to be financed.
5: This kind of shapes my belief that we really need to rein in finance, um, and we really need to bring in the corporate sector if we're going to see the climate action we need to meet our goals.
2: Regeneration is an organization whose goal is to transform Canadian societies so human and ecological well-being are put at the center of every decision.
5: So we come out of a cohort of mostly business and STEM students um, who realize that a lot of the problems that we are facing in society are caused by the same institutions that are looking to recruit us. So businesses, consulting firms, banks, and we wanted to change that.
2: They are offering four neglected solutions to tackle these problems: raising the power of the public and social sectors to transition away from fossil fuels, tackling economical issues through economic democracy so everyone can be included in the making of decisions long-term thinking to keep the focus on the main issues, and questioning the notion of economic growth. Because it seems to me that every time the economy grows, it is a good sign, even if it is doing so in a dying planet.
5: Our organization that is really focused on the corporate sector, we're launching a campaign in one month called Rework Your Future. And we really want to reshape what it means to have a prestigious career, what it means to do good with your work.
2: This campaign is going to promote the clean economy sector and, at the same time, call companies to action. They are proposing that people who are just entering into the job market stray away from the traditional path and choose to work directly into clean economy. And that doesn't mean working with a prestigious company with, quote-unquote, good values. For this, they will be offering career resources and documents to reshape this upcoming talent. When it comes to these companies, Chris mentions how we need them to clean up their act and to look into their activities with a more regular magnifying glass.
5: A company can have their emissions going down, but they can be doing so using offsets or other fraudulent Mm -hmm. accounting practices. Um, So we really get up our scrutiny on these corporations.
2: Overall, hearing all of this passion and desire for change from an organization made by STEM and business students was refreshing and surprising for me. It broke through a dichotomy I thought existed between the fields. Little did I know, I'd be even more impressed by Sandra Sheila's presentation. The work of this associate professor at Telfer is focused on inclusive innovation, whose goal is to bring in different people, especially those who have been historically excluded, to have a more complete understanding on the impacts innovation processes could have. A relevant concept for inclusive innovation is convergence. And here we saw a diagram depicting how individuals are nested in society and how society is, in turn, nested inside a bigger ecosystem. This was to picture how there's humans at the center of everything, of businesses, hospitals, universities. Another thing I learned was how engaged some members of the Telford faculty are in achieving their principles of responsible management, an initiative supported by the UN to build a more sustainable future. There's research and community projects being taken on by professors, and in Dr. Shilo's case, advocacy has taken the form of a speaker series, an indigenous entrepreneurship course, smart training, and what she seemed the most excited about, a climate action proposal to achieve the 1.5 degrees target. This project has 75 collaborators so far, and that just goes to show how far they've come. We are constantly receiving information on what we should be doing, what we should be focusing on to avoid the destruction of our planet. Oftentimes, this advice is overwhelming and even contradictory, But if something is to be learned from this conference, it's that just by choosing something to do, we are already helping, because we really have to do everything. What all of these panelists show me is that there is no perfect way to tackle climate change. Be it from a health perspective, passing through a federal one to a finance one, there's work being done, and people care and we continue to care as long as they can. And to me, that's hope. This was the club's first event of the year, which will be followed by a teaching later this month to talk about fossil-free research. I asked the co-president of CJ's CEO Alex Estrada what the importance of having these spaces was, and her answer summarized exactly what I felt being in that room.
1: I think the importance of having certain events is for people to feel in a close, comfortable space to question their knowledge. So if they're in a room of people that they don't really know in the first place, and there's only like 10 of them there, and there's an expert subject matter ten, person 10 feet away from you, you'll feel a lot more confident expressing your worries about climate. You'll feel a lot more confident saying, I'm not that interested in climate, why should I care? And I think that's the importance, as well as, of course,
0: awareness. That was CHUO's Marcella Gonzalez covering a climate conference at UOttawa. Wellness Week has been around for 10 editions at UOttawa. During these weeks, students are offered events and workshops to ease their midterm woes. Among these activities was an Anishinaabe map-making event. Yasmin Ravenbach attended the event and spoke with one of the coordinators.
1: Hi, my name is Louisa and uh, I work at the university. Uh, we do events on campus. So uh, we're organizing a snow festival that's happening this week. We're helping out wellness week and our biggest event usually is welcome week with the UO show where we have more than 4,000 uh, students coming to, uh, to the UO show.
0: That's amazing! What is happening today? If you could give us a brief rundown of the event we're here for today.
1: We're here today at the OAG, and basically, we're going to do a tour of the building, we're going to see different exhibitions. There's four, I believe, happening today, and we'll see all of them. And then we'll sit down and do a mapping activity. The person that put together this workshop is going to give us a little introduction and in what was kind of the thought process behind it. And from my understanding, I'm not an artist, but it, it looks like a bit like scrapbooking where we put pieces together and we kind of reflect on what is mapping and borders and uh, what it means to us All that's perfect I want to ask what do you hope students can take from this event Um, I think the idea behind organizing such an event was really to kind of have activities where students kind of like forget about school, you know, they do something different. They come tonight and just enjoy themselves and forget about their exams, their midterm, and what's going on, so, so that was the idea. And we also try to kind of do activities on campus and a little bit outside, so here we're kind of like five minutes away from campus, so it's always nice to kind of like get out and, and change vibes, yeah. So this is what I do on a regular basis is uh, to organize events, and I'm always looking for different things to do, so we don't like to do the same thing over and over again. When it's popular, we like, for example, giving out beaver tails, it's always popular. So we try to bring them back every year. But we do try to, to go outside of our comfort zone and try different things. And uh, we're open to new ideas. So if there's anything trendy these days, let us know. Thank you so much.
0: That was Yasmin Bosch at the Anishinaabe making event for U Ottawa Wellness Week. Tune in again next week for more of this coverage.
4: It's winter season and the winterlude is back. Tomorrow marks the beginning of the 26th run. Winterlude is an international festival held in the Ottawa-Gatino region. It was created by the National Capital Commission in 1979 to highlight Canada's unique northern culture and climate. It kicks off February 2nd and it runs until the 19th. Winterlude has more than 200 activities for folks of all ages. Amongst them include Wintercraft, a lightweight public art installation, celebrating Indigenous cultures, Rink of Dreams skating, and many more. We also have the winter triathlon, made of skating, running, and cross-country skiing. However, the Rideau Canal is temporarily closed until further notice from the NCC. Stay tuned for more winterlude information on next week's show. From CHU, I'm Faitia Tijani.
0: And now James Brennan brings us another episode of Point of
6: Skew. Hello and welcome back to Point of Skew, I'm James Brennan, and with this show we'll be going through how our media system skews stories through specific word choice and other methods to change our interpretation of global events. By asking questions like who benefits and following the stream of money, we can begin to understand why some news outlets decide to cover the topics they do and take the stances they support. When we take a step back and understand the news industry in the Western world, we can begin to see how an idealistic sense of a news industry has been warped. Warped with the incorporation of revenue-based models and the need for funding. This requires outlets to gauge their content towards the agendas of those in charge or to appease viewers with what they wish to hear. When the media is meant to keep those in power accountable, to those who elected them, but they are bound by financial constraints, it raises possibilities of agenda setting and lobbying. Last episode, we looked at how media is used to inform, educate, and entertain. Yet, it can also take on other roles where it becomes a tool for foreign powers to exert influence. The media is truly a tool that dictates the progression of a developing society. Everything from educating isolated people on modern farming practices, to ensuring that broadcasted information is factually correct and sound. The possibilities in media for development are massive as well. It is a recognized cornerstone of how a country can improve itself and solve its citizens' issues. In future episodes, we will expand on this topic and discuss the importance of mass communications to get valuable information to the fringe and marginalized areas to prove that information truly is power. Today's episode concerns a proposed solution to the ongoing war in Gaza, how two different outlets use their influences to dictate what language they use and bring up the topic of media conglomerates in Canada and around the world. Our first article comes from the Montreal Gazette, which has a right-leaning alignment under the media conglomerate Post Media Network. The second article is from CBS News, a widely known outlet with a left-leaning alignment cbs has many ties to immediate conglomerates such as national amusements when comparing the headlines of both articles we can begin to break down how their alignment can be interpreted through their word choice and topic emphasis the montreal gazette has a headline of quote eu pushes for palestinian statehood rejecting israeli leaders insistence that it's off the table end quote here we can feel the impact of the european union and instantly have a sense of a globalist foreign involvement which is a massive topic of discussion on the right. This can be interpreted as having libertarian tendencies and serves as a dog whistle, as those who believe foreign involvement in domestic affairs will read the way this headline is written and find themselves in it. The important and useful thing to do to immediately get a grasp of the article's take on a situation is to make note of the first few words of the headline. It's important too. And in today's media landscape, news outlets need to compete with social media to gain readers and clicks. So with shorter attention spans, journalists must hook a reader with their headline and ensure that the perspective of the article is demonstrated. When looking deeper into the Montreal Gazette's article, one's quickly hit with the European country's perspectives on the ongoing war and how they think it should be solved. The article uses Israeli foreign minister Israel Katz as the inclusion of an Israeli perspective, but his quotes and or responses are hard to find among many quotes. It isn't until the last couple paragraphs of the article do we see a quote from the minister which says, quote, we have to bring back our security. Our brave soldiers are fighting in very hard conditions, end quote. And that the Israeli government aims to, quote, bring back our hostages and restore security to the citizens of Israel, end quote. Now these are the same talking points from the other Israeli officials but what I think is peculiar is how the article is structured. If the feeling of a potential dog whistle is felt within the headline, it can be a clue that maybe the article will deal with the same ideas. By knowing that the article has right leading tendencies, we can infer that there will be some observable evidence of this. After all, nothing is placed or written unintentionally. Moving on to the CBS article, which has the headline of quote, Netanyahu pressed on two-state solution for Israel-Hamas war as southern Gaza hit with relentless shelling, quote. Now remember that the sequence of a headline is a key factor in figuring out what the article will discuss and the position they take on the issue. Just from the mention of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu being pressed on a two-state solution, one can infer that from the word choice of pressed that it's coming from a stance of being pro-two-state solution and possibly even ridicule. When reading through the article, there were a couple things I noticed. First, the second paragraph of the article that says, quote, the health ministry in Hamas run Gaza, end quote. This caught my attention, as it's an odd way of saying the Gaza health ministry, which we explored in an earlier episode to be a department under the Hamas government in Gaza. When reading how the article puts it, it comes off with a thinking that it separates the two. It doesn't disclose control of the ministry, which does have the potential to skew numbers due to their implication in the conflict. Following this are eyewitness accounts of recent fighting, which are handled very well, and any potentially biased language are covered in these accounts, disclosing that it's not the outlet making these claims. About halfway through the article is when Netanyahu is mentioned, where it mentions the nations urging Israel to accept a two-state solution. The rest of the article is rather interesting in the sense that it uses language that would suggest a rather centrist stance on the issue. One heading is, quote, Hamas calls its terror attack a defense act, end quote, where the following text discusses the event of October 7th and mentions the death tolls on each side. The articles outlined today are examples of what it's like to navigate the current media ecosystem. Accounts of doublespeak, confusing sentence structure, and word choice are all methods of skew. The hope for displaying these articles is to serve as an introduction to future episodes about how our private media is funded and just how conglomerates are formed. I'm James Brennan, and this has been and will continue to be your call to check the point of skew. Thank you.
0: And that's it for this week's episode of The Mosaic. Thanks so much for tuning in. Music for The Mosaic is by Halizna. To listen to this episode and previous ones, go to chuo.fm slash podcasts. If you're interested in joining our news team, email news at ch2o.fm. We'll see you next week, Thursday at 1 p.m.